morning, Dave. Morning. Uh-oh, you sound stopped up. Yeah, sinuses. You sound like a bullfrog. Been working on me a little. Just checking to see if I got the right slides in here. No, I just turned it on to check the sound. I just forgot to turn it off.
Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. I've entitled this sermon "The Mercy and God's Will." You know, we're coming to the end of our study on Revelations in our Sunday school class, and it's really opened my eyes to the mercy of God and to mankind's ability to believe every vain thing that pops into their head. People are determined to live any way that pleases them, and as they do this, their hatred for Jesus and for Christians just grows and grows. But the book of Revelation is a testament to the mercy and patience of God. In the Great Tribulation, God sends plagues, but the people still refuse to repent. God is delaying Jesus' return as long as he can because God is still knocking on the hearts of the lost. And God would send those plagues. He could just wipe out the earth, but he was sending plagues and showing them what was going to happen, making things worse and worse and worse, and people just hardened their heart even more and refused to repent. But he's not willing that any should perish. That's what our text says today. For years, my favorite verse in the Bible was Jeremiah 33.3. It was a, the pastor who saved me. That was his favorite verse, so it became my favorite verse. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But over the last few years, my favorite verse has become 2 Peter 3.9. I think as a pastor, God seems to be drawing me to this verse. Uh, and this verse beautifully sums up God's will for his people. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. On Wednesday night, we're still studying uh, Kyle uh, Alderman's uh, book, One at a Time. And this past Wednesday really showed us how Jesus went to people no one else would talk to. He'd go to people and offer salvation and tell them about God's love for them. And if this is the heart of God concerning all people, then it must be the heart of all his people. So let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And the Bible says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us to come and worship together. We thank you, Father, that this is a time, Lord, where God's people gather and, and, and sing and pray and, and feast upon your word, Father, to draw strength for the coming week. But it's also where we come, Father, to understand your will for our life and the love you have for the lost and the mission you've given us, Father, to go out and proclaim the gospel to those who don't know. So, Father, in just a little bit of time here, Father, let us see the importance of serving your will, of being the church you want us to be, to be that witness and that testimony of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless our time together. Open up our hearts, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Bible's really clear. One day Jesus will turn with an army from heaven and and at the battle of Armageddon, he will pour out the wrath of God upon those who rejected Jesus and rebelled against God. And this will happen. Without a shadow of a doubt, it's going to happen. 
If a just God provides salvation through the sacrifice of his own son, then a just God is going to punish those who reject him. But it will only happen when God says the time is right. So why is God waiting? Well, verse 9 tells us he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's given everyone an opportunity to turn, to turn from their own ways and turn to him. But because he's delaying, because he's waiting, giving everybody the chance, the world mocks us and mocks God for this delay. And Peter addresses that. I've read a couple of verses to the kids. But he addresses this in the first part of chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, he says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, and that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that, was, that went then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of unholy men. It's a whole lot right there, isn't it? Peter says there's people who are walking after their own lust, who believe that, that Jesus is not coming, that God has lied, that the Bible is not true, that this is not going to happen, because he said everything's been happening. Everything's carried on the same way it's always been. Nothing changes. They'll also have forgotten or never believed that God stepped into history one time and flooded the whole world, only saving Noah and his family on the ark. Why did he do that for? Because of the wickedness. In uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And God saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth, and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God saw that they were evil, and that's all they were was evil. Outside of knowing his family, there was no good on the earth, and so he destroyed it with water. And then God intervened again with his great love where he sent his son to offer a sacrifice for eternal life to his people. And today the times are like Noah. Today it's probably worse than in Noah's time. And people live after their own lust and they're mocking God. But God tarries because this time he won't destroy the world by water. He won't take a group of good people and put them on an ark and save them and destroy everything else. No, when Jesus comes back, that's it. It's the end. He's going to destroy the world with fire. Completely destroy everything. So God is waiting for his church to complete their work that, God, that Jesus commanded them to do. Preach the gospel. Be the light of the world. Be the salt of the earth. And we must be busy working for the Lord. I'll tell you what, when I look at my family, and I look at these children here, and I look at the... the being here in church and seeing our church family. You know, I feel with the thoughts saying, Lord Jesus, come now. 
Lord, come. I don't know what they're going to face in, in, after I'm gone and they, they have to go through life and become adults. I don't know what they're going to face and how bad this world is going to continue to get. I say, Lord Jesus, come now. But if you step out of here and you walk the streets and you see people every day that are lost and dying and going to hell and don't know Jesus Christ, you say, Lord, don't come now. Lord, please tarry a little longer. Give them more time. Peter was conflicted about this. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, Peter said, I mean, Paul said, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Jesus. His life was hard. Paul had a pain. He was, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was on shipwrecks. He was put in jail. He was, he was not a good life for Paul. He wanted to go home. But he said, it is, need, it, is, uh, it is more needful for you that I'm here. Paul said, it is needful for the lost people that he's here proclaiming Jesus Christ. Church, is it better for us that we're here? I think we have to ask ourselves some hard questions. Is it better for Covington that Covington Baptist Church is here? Are we serving God's will? Are we not willing that any should perish? Wednesday night we learned about a 17-year-old girl that died, and, and she wrote in a book her prayer that she prayed daily. And I don't know why the girl died at 17. I, he didn't say, but um, he wrote down her prayer. And her prayer was this, God placed broken-hearted people in my path and fill me with you so I can let your love heal their pain. Amen. If we're going to live out God's will for the lost, we must realize a few things. First, we're on God's schedule. What did verse 8 say? Verse 8 says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God views time differently than we do. Time dictates our life. We, we are born, we'll live, and then we'll die. But God exists and has never been born and will never die. He exists outside of time. He has no beginning or end. And Peter told us to believe God's word. I just read in, in verse 2 of chapter 3, it says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before of the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He says, be mindful of what this word says. And here in verse 8, Peter is referring to Psalms 94, which says, for a thousand years in thy sight are but uh, as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in the night. The psalmist declared it, and Peter believed it. And as believers, we need to hold on to this idea that the lost don't know. Time does not control the one who created time. So when they look and say, well, things are going on like they always have, and things are going away fine, God's not coming back. If he's coming back, why ain't he back now? Because... He created time. He's not controlled by time. The world wants to believe that Jesus isn't coming back and that there is no heaven, no hell, that, there is, uh, that they have, have to believe in, in nothing. They don't have to worry about anything because there's nothing after this life. But Peter, in 1 Peter 2.15 says, 
which have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Doesn't that describe our world? We must warn people that God's truth will happen even if he tarries. The church is not looking uh, for the time when Jesus returns to the earth. We are looking for that day when we go meet him in the sky, when he calls our name, when we, go, when we hear the trumpet. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we go meet him in the air. We don't know when the rapture will happen, so we watch. We must be vigilant, and we must be working to reach the lost while there is still time. One of the reasons why the tribulation period is going to be so bad is because the church has been gone. The Holy Spirit has left. And if the message of love is so important to us, and we don't know how much time we should have, then there should be a great urgency in us. We should not miss any opportunity to witness to someone, to tell someone, to work for the kingdom of God while there's still time. The Bible says work while it's day, because you don't know when, time, when night is coming. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, vessel in sanctification and honor. We're sanctified. God has set us apart for his use. And we're to take this vessel, this earthly, earthly vessel that's full of cracks, full of problems, full of, full of flaws, and understand that God's filled it with his Holy Spirit. And we're to use that vessel for his will, not for ours. Not for fornication, not for pleasures of the flesh, but things that pleasure God. And what pleases God? Not willing that any should perish, but all come repentance. We are a vessel of service, set apart, declared holy by God for his use. Are you being used by God for the work that he has prepared you to do? Time's running out. Second, we must see God's patience with people. Look at the first part of verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. Here's another reason why the Lord's return seems to be long in coming. God, may, God wants as many people as possible to be saved. God is in control of everything. And everything will happen right on time. Unbelievers hold that since Jesus promised his second coming has not come yet, he's either lying or is unable to fulfill his promises. But here, he's, Peter says, he's not slack concerning his promises. God delivers on his promises every time, on his time. Acts 1.7 says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Why didn't God tell us when he's coming back? Because he knows us. If he says, I'm coming back on this day, then we ain't going to do nothing until the day before. Amen? We're procrastinators. We're stiff-necked. We're hard-hearted people. That's what we do. So if you don't know when he's coming back, you have to assume he's coming back right now. He's coming back uh, in a few minutes before this service is over. He's coming back tomorrow. And if you believe he's coming back any time, you best be working. You best be doing what God's called you to do. Matthew 24, 36 says, But if that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, God's not slack concerning his promises, 
He is motivated by love, and it's his love for the world that Jesus has not yet returned. He's long-suffering. Long-suffering. <clears throat> I used to read this verse, and, and I think to myself, he's long-suffering to sinners. He's long-suffering to those people who don't believe. He's long-suffering to the lost. He's long-suffering for those who have turned their back to God and are living for self. And he, He's long-suffering to them, wanting them to repent and turn back to Him. And then all of a sudden, I start reading that verse again, and I, I start putting me in there, which is what you're supposed to do, right? And He's long-suffering to me. He's long-suffering for His church who are not working. He's long-suffering for those Christians who sit on a pew every Sunday and never, ever tell anybody about Jesus Christ. He's long-suffering, waiting for His church to get off their butts and do what He's called them to do. He's long-suffering, waiting for people to know Jesus is coming back. He's long-suffering, church, to us. Not willing that any should perish. Hmm. I hope I stepped on some toes because my feet are hurting. 2 Peter 3.15 says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written to you. His long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. There is great mercy in God's patience for these people. In Revelations, you can see this patience. God could have just sent Jesus and ended it all, but he sent uh, the plagues, he sent the, the bowls, he sent the, the trumpets, all these judgments upon the earth to let people know that this is what's happening. This is coming true. What's happening right now is Jesus is on the way back to end everything. Now is the time to repent. He gives them every opportunity to repent, and they've hardened their heart against him and will not repent. Listen, I don't know where we're at in the last... I know we're in the last days, but I don't know how close we are till the end. I, I, I think we're closer than what we think we are. But there will come a point where people will harden their hearts so bad that they refuse to hear. That they'll harden their hearts so bad that they won't turn. Church, we need to be trying to reach them while there's still time. Before that happens. Work while God is patient with His people. Finally, we must see why God is waiting. The end of verse 9 says, but that all should come to repentance. The reason God's waiting is his patience and concern for the people who might be saved. It's a beautiful thing to know that God is not willing that any should perish because repentance is offered to all people. Ezekiel 18.22 says, for I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. God says, I, have, I take no pleasure. He didn't create hell for, for his creatures. He created hell for Satan and his demons. But it would be filled with people who rejected Jesus Christ. But he takes no pleasure in that. God is waiting so that all have a chance to turn to God and turn away from sin. God wishes for all people to become to faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. 1 Timothy 2.4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth? 
On Wednesday night, Kyle Alderman told another story in his book about an elderly lady. Uh, she was on a mission trip. She was from the Midwest. She was on a mission trip to uh, Los Angeles. And she got lost. She got separated from her group. Los Angeles is probably not a place you want to get separated from your group. And she was in South Central L.A. So she was uh, uh, not in the best place in the world. She's walking down the alley and she's seen a man coming towards her. This is a true story. I didn't write their names down. But if you want to know their names, it's in the book. Um, she's walking down the alley and there's a man coming towards her. Big, strong man. Covered in gang tattoos. And he, as a matter of fact, he was in a gang. He was an enforcer for the gang. And he had just got out of prison that very day. She walked right up to him and said, uh, are you hungry? And he was kind of taken aback. He couldn't figure out why this woman was talking to him. And he says, yeah. She says, well, if you help me find where I need to go, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you get some food. And so he helped her get to where she needed to go. She took, her to, took him to a Christian missionary, uh, missionary uh, ministry called Dream Center. The man got food. And he spent a year there in a program, and during that time, he experienced something he had never known. Unconditional love. And he gave his life to Christ. And now, he's making a difference in, in South Central by, by going to games and by feeding them the way that woman fed him. But why would she go up to this scary man? Why would she go up and talk to him? I mean, you know, we, we shouldn't judge people by how they look, but this guy was. Uh, he was a gangbanger. He, was, uh, he just got out of jail. So why would she do that for him? I probably would have threw my wallet at him and ran the other way. <laughs> but she walked right up to him and says, Are you hungry? How did she know? Could she see it in his eyes that maybe he looked hungry? Or, or maybe that's just what God laid on her heart? You know why? Because she didn't look at the tattoos. She didn't look at the muscles. She didn't look at the alleyway. She may have looked in his eyes and saw someone who was lost and dying and didn't know Jesus Christ. God bears the evil of this world waiting for every last sinner to repent and to feel his love. And they'll never repent if we don't go tell them. I told the story Wednesday night that I've been having to wash my clothes in the, in the laundromat here lately because uh, our washing machine's broke. And so uh, you go in there and you try to witness the people, right? And so you, you, you see people and you put them in two different categories, right? Safe and dangerous. All right. We shouldn't do that. Because I found myself, if there's somebody in there, like there, there's an older gentleman in there who has a veteran's hat on, I'll witness to him. If there's a younger guy in there with, uh, with uh, you know, muscles and... and and it looks like he has wants nothing to do with me or anyone else. I'll just kind of avoid that. Why do we do that for? Because we're afraid. What are we afraid of? What are we scared of? When, when God's on your side, who can be against you? Why do we do that for? He's long-suffering to us for, for us to realize that we need to be witnessing to everybody. Every chance we get. Because we don't know when he's coming back. We must be giving the gospel to all people while there's still time. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord that so cometh as a thief in the night. And then Peter warns us here, on the, on starting in verse 10. 
He says, but the day of the Lord, he repeats it, will come as a thief in the night, and in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening to the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall uh, melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Are we blameless today? How's your walk with the Lord? How many people did you, did you witness to this past week? All right, now, think back in your mind at all the people that God put in your path that you could have witnessed to. He's long-suffering. I think one of the things that we'll do when we stand before God is, listen, if you're saved, you're saved. God's not going to take your salvation away. But I have a feeling that when we stand before God, he's going to show us all the opportunities that we missed. He's going to show us the people that we could have impacted with the gospel we didn't. And then we're going to stand there with him at the white throne judgment when he cast all those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life into hell. And we'll see those people that we had a chance to witness to and we didn't. Church, we need to be working. We need to take care of every opportunity we have. We need to share the gospel with people. Make sure they know that God is tearing because he doesn't want you to go to hell. He loves you enough to send his son to die for you and he's given you every opportunity to believe that Christ is the Lord. Every head bow, every eye closed. I want to tell you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. You don't know if you'll have another minute. You don't know when your time will be up. God is long-suffering, but He'll only give you so much time and then you'll be gone. And it'll be too late. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you believe that Jesus is His Son, that He died on the cross for your sins, that He paid the price so that you wouldn't have to, and you want to follow Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, you can have eternal life right now today. That's simple. It's more than a prayer. It's a, it's a relationship you enter into with Jesus Christ. He'll come into your heart. You'll be a part of His family. He'll prepare a place for you in heaven. And you'll be with him for all eternity. Church, if you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, I don't want to stand before him and say you missed all these opportunities. Here's a list of people that you could have touched, that you could have impacted, that I put in your path specifically for you to talk to, and you didn't. I was not willing for any of them to perish. Why were you? 
We'd have no answer for that, would we? His will of mercy needs to be our will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, at this time, Lord, of uh, an invitation, Lord, I pray that God's people want to come up and pray. And Father, to seek to be better servants of you, Father, do so. Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, I pray they come up here right now. Father, they can leave here knowing that they have eternal life. Knowing that they have salvation full and free by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do a better job. Father, you're long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish. Father, tarry. Tarry as long as you need possible. Lord, help us to do the things we need to do. So many people, Father, out there don't even know what today means. They're just going about their lives, not even thinking about you or your son. Lord, someone needs to tell them before it's eternally too late. Father, let it be better for Covington, that Covington Baptist is here. For Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing our closing hymn of praise. I have decided to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm.